Well, it is my uh, deep pleasure to uh, be here. Thank you, Peter, for the invitation. Uh, <clears throat> thank you for uh, being so uh, inviting and providing a place for David and Sandy and our little grandson, Hezzy, to have a very meaningful home. Uh, I just want to thank Dr. Hurd and the, the choir for some uh, soul-stirring music for me. It's nice to have that to get prepared. And uh, so here I am, and Peter's done some introduction, but I would like to further introduce myself to you, sort of confirm my credentials to preach this morning. First of all, that I am a baptized Presbyterian. I was baptized at the age of 12 by the Reverend Logan Barnes at St. Many Presbyterian Church. Some 10 years later after that, Janet and I would be born again, sitting in the front row of that church, listening to the preaching of Reverend Joe Stevens. Being the youngest members there, we were immediately drafted into teaching Sunday school. And so our ministry began. And we have been in the ministry for almost 50 years since then in some form. My second credential is this, and now my son is a Presbyterian. He has moved on from a season of wearing black vinyl leather pants to becoming a church liturgist. Although, as you know, he does favor Johnny Cash Black. I almost wore my black uh, sports coat in honor of that. Well, our theme today, as uh, uh, Peter has introduced, is investigating this contemplative stream. Uh, so my title is Stepping into the Contemplative Stream, that particular stream of uh, Christian spirituality that's been around for a long time. Uh, there's one psalm that sort of introduces this to us, where the psalmist writes, as the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Our soul has a thirst for the presence of God. Uh, it's probably its highest priority is to enter in to the presence of God. And so it speaks of this stream of water, this contemplative stream. And I'd like to take a look first at what I would call the course of this contemplative stream, like the course of a river, uh, the course of this stream of spirituality that we see really in church history. To define it more specifically, what this stream is, the contemplative stream focuses on the pursuit of experiencing the presence of God through solitude, silence, and sustained prayer. Uh, whenever we look at this uh, stream being acted out in Scripture, we see that people go into a place of solitude where it's, they're surrounded by silence, and then through sustained or very simple prayer, 
they have intimacy with God. Now, we see that movement in the early days of the Bible. We see Moses on Mount Sinai going to a place of solitude and silence, and there has this simple uh, dialogue with God uh, and has this direct experience of the great I Am. Another example is Elijah. When fleeing from Jezebel, he goes 40 days and he goes into a cave in a place of extreme solitude and in silence. And then it's in silence that God comes and speaks to him. So he has that direct contemplative experience. We see it in David's life, in David fleeing Saul into the desert. Uh, the majority of Psalms that David wrote were written from that place of being in the desert alone when he was hiding out from Saul. Uh, again, we see it in John the Baptist in the wilderness. And of course, Jesus 40 days in his wilderness. Then even as we move into uh, the disciples and the apostles, uh, when we first meet the apostle Paul, after he has his encounter with Jesus, he goes into the Arabian desert for a sustained period of time. All these men are pioneers of contemplative spirituality. Now, the supreme model of contemplative spirituality, who is the supreme model of all spirituality, is our Lord Jesus Christ. And when we take a look at our Lord Jesus Christ, we see the model of how you have a contemplative life. We read in Mark 135 these verses. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. And we know in several texts he did that. Uh, before the sun came up, he would go and spend these early hours alone in a silent place and have dialogue uh, with his Father in heaven. And I believe that he not only received instructions for the day, but he had worked times of intimacy dialogue with his father, but I think most of all, he liked just being there with his father. Now, I like the, a quote from uh, a vineyard friend of mine, Ken Wilson, and he brings out an interesting point about the life of Jesus. He says, for too long, the active and the contemplative dimensions of spirituality have been viewed in isolation from each other, distorting both. People want to say, well, you're either active or contemplative. But Jesus combined both in his person. He was an activist, a man with a, on a mission. He was also a man with a contemplative inner life. So Jesus is the perfect model of what I call the active contemplative. Uh, he has an active life and a contemplative life. And as you can see, in the morning, he have his contemplative side, spending time in solitude and silence and simple dialogue with his father. And if you've noticed, when he goes out on his active side, he has pretty full days. You know, you read parts of the Gospels, and he, all these miracles, you realize that happened, were in one day. Then he sleeps for a while, and he gets up and he contemplates. 
and he has the perfect rhythm of life. He's our model of the active contemplative. That's who, it's the kind of contemplative I am, active contemplative. Uh, you, some people have a call to be a hermit or go to a monastery, and they, they get more of the contemplative side, but they all have some degree of activity. So Jesus chose us as the supreme model that all of us, following his footsteps, should seek to have a contemplative side. And then we see after Jesus that the course of contemplative stream moves on to the present day through monastic history. Contemplative practice was discovered by the monks in the Egyptian desert. Early on, when during the time of the Roman Empire, uh, there were those people that really wanted to go be alone with Jesus uh, in a time when it was either dangerous or a time when it was became lax to be a Christian, and they, they went to the Egyptian desert to places of uh, solitude, silence, and they learned these simple prayers to connect with the presence of God there. Further, they were developed in monasteries, like Benedictine monasteries that carried this forward in communities. And in this contemplative monastic flow is now being rediscovered in today's emerging church, like Peter was saying. This aspect, this monastic, contemplative aspect is being brought forth uh, in today's church and being integrated into the flow of the greater stream. Now I'd like to <clears throat> read from a book that I recently wrote called The Eclective Contemplative. Uh, it's called A Modern Pilgrim on an Ancient Path. That's me. And I'd like to read a section that shows you how I got on this contemplative path. After being a, a Christian that was very involved in even the evangelical stream and the charismatic Pentecostal stream in the vineyard, uh, the way my life developed was things happened that would bring me onto the contemplative stream. Now, one of the things that had evolved in my life was teaching on the love of God the Father. And that was sort of a, a new concept uh, back in 1985. Uh, as I began to teach on it, I began to get invitations around the country and all over the world eventually. And so with that in mind, we come to uh, the time when I was going to move into a discovery of this. So I'm going to break into the book at this point. <laughs> the message of the Father's love eventually became my life message, a timely message as the revelation of the Father's love began to spread globally. My calendar for 1999 was filled with speaking engagements all around the world. However, <clears throat> I was forced to cancel all of them when early in that year I became ill. Stomach problems led to a severe loss of weight and the frightening pronouncement that I had cancer of the blood, leukemia. That summer I went through chemotherapy, resulting in such weakness that walking was limited as was social contact. <clears throat> in the afternoons, exhausted, too tired to read or pray, 
I would sit alone in the living room, looking out the patio window at my beloved Rose Garden. Double Delights, Chicago Peace, and Mr. Lincoln's swayed in the afternoon breeze, the sunlight causing their colors to intensify. I focused my gaze upon them, breathing in the calm of creation. As silence surrounded me, I felt the desire to pray, but had little energy to do so. Slowly, one word formed on my lips, Jesus. Closing my eyes, I began to repeat that name over and over, breathing in deeply between each repetition. Jesus. 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 Suddenly, I was aware of the Spirit resting on me and the manifest, merciful presence of Jesus. His peace settled into my anxious heart. I felt his healing hand upon me. Ah, such relief from pain for the moment. As I continued, Jesus, 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 I entered a transcendent moment where heaven surrounded me and my Abba Father embraced me in his everlasting arms. Emptying my heart of the fears of facing cancer and the fatigue of enduring chemotherapy. My heart quieted, held secure. My hope was renewed. For weeks, I would return to this place, and along with the prayers of many and some divinely equipped doctors, I was carried through this dark night into a complete recovery. Yes, the cancer is gone, but something wonderful was birthed in that season that has remained ever since. In the solitude, in the silence, and with simple prayer, I received a gift, the gift of contemplation. And I've been on that journey of contemplation, integrating it into my active life for the last 20 years. Now, I've learned something along the way on this course of the contemplative stream, and I would call it the catalyst for contemplation. It is something that I experienced in that rose garden, something that catalyzed my desire to go to this place of contemplation, to go into a place of solitude, to go and be silent, and just simply have these words. The catalyst for contemplation was love, was love. I had experienced God's love in a new way. And in the desire to experience that, it catalyzed me to go to that place again. And we see this is called in the Bible, first love. First love. In 1 John 4, 19, we love because God first loved us. That's what happened in our salvation. That's what happens in the whole journey. God comes and revisits us with love through the Holy Spirit. And we, also, we love to be in the presence of the Holy Spirit because of love. Or you experience the Father's love. You want to go be with the Father because there's love. And that's the way it is in contemplation. We love to go into the place of contemplation because that's the place where we can receive the love that God has given us. And I believe we see this 
very important dynamic in the life of Jesus. Jesus' personal experience of his Father's love while praying at his baptism certainly empowered his ongoing contemplative life. When Jesus was baptized at the very beginning of his public ministry, he was praying. He came out of the river, Jordan, after being baptized, and he was praying. And the answer that came from heaven was his father embracing him and saying, you are my son and I love you and I am well pleased with you. And like Brennan Manning says, he believes this was an awesome personal experience. It was like an earthquake in the human soul of Jesus, this love that he experienced in his humanity. In that that ex love experience was what got him up early in the morning. It was what got him to pray. And we can see this again because on the Mount of Transfiguration, Jesus goes up to pray. And what happens? We see clearly what happens in those prayer times. The cloud surrounds him, and the Father declares his love over him again. And so Jesus knew that in contemplation, he would meet the Father's love again. And that's the way it works with us. Our experience of, the, of God's loving presence creates in us an expectancy to experience it again in contemplation and energizes our ongoing practice of it. There's nothing that energizes our life in any dimension of our Christian experience than love. Now, the thing that comes right after that, and we get clear understanding as a result of understanding the love we receive is this. After first love comes first commandment. The first, now we can embrace fully the first commandment. Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. You see, when you're in love with God, then you can love him completely. And that's what it's, the commandment is to love him completely with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength, your whole being. And not only is it all of your being, but you could add to it all the time. All the time. We're to love God all the time with all we are and all the different facets of life. But that, that loving God combined with having experiences of says, yes, one of the most poignant ways I can demonstrate love for God is to say, I want to be with you. And Richard Foster makes this wonderful statement about the contemplative tradition. He says, the first and most fundamental contribution of the contemplative tradition is that it fans the flames of our first love. Remember, we're, told, we're sort of warned, not, do not fall out of that first love in Revelation 2.4. Its message of the contemplative tradition is this, love God with all your heart. Love God with all your heart. Love God with all your heart. Without heart love, you have nothing. And this is... Uh, I loved reading this book by Richard Foster because it stirred this in me, that this 
contemplative prayer is a beautiful thing because I can exercise first love and it gives me the motive to do it again and again because I'm just coming to love you. You know, sometimes I've had to remember that I have to be reminded that, it, that the most important thing is I take time just to love God because he likes it. He likes being loved. And something that happens on occasion in my life, which never happened, but it does once in a while, is I'll say to my wife, I want to take you out and have a special dinner. And so I'll make all these arrangements, you know, I'll really get it all managed, and we'll travel somewhere and go there. And then when I, when we get in there, you know, they sit, sit us at a table, and I look around, and I go, uh, this is a bad table, too close to the kitchen. So I, we may move us around. And then, then the, the menu comes, and I'm going, eh, I don't know if there's anything I really want on this menu. Is it is good for my diet or something? And then I go through that. And then when it finally comes out, uh, you know, I'd say, oh, it's got too much cheese on it. And I'd get all flustered. And then all of a sudden, my wife sort of pulls at the shirt and says, and she'll go, dear, you're here to be with me. And then I'm pulled right back. Oh, how do I forget that? You know, I, I, I wanted to bring out to love you and be with you and have this love moment, this romantic moment. And so every so often, I think we need to be reminded that, that we are called primarily to have these love moments. Because these love, out of these love moments comes everything else. So we see that there is this course of contemplative spirituality, and it's coursing through the Christian church everywhere. And it's catalyzed by love. Let's take a look at what are the simple component parts in order to enter into this. And there are three, and I've been mentioning them. The first is solitude. To enter into a contemplative place, to get in this stream, we move toward places of solitude. Henry Nouwen says it perfectly. Solitude begins with a time and place for God and God alone. It is precisely where we are most alone, most unique, most ourselves, that God is closest to us. So we, we make space in our life to, to go be with God alone. For me, it can be go in my bedroom, or it can be go on my boardroom out surfing, paddle out further than everybody else and just say, I'm going to be alone with you, Lord. Go to a monastery, go on a contemplative walk, but you get out in a place where you're alone. And in that place, your primary goal in the practical sense is silence. That's the second thing. This is not necessarily the time for intercession and lots of other asking and dying. We have that kind of prayer in our life. But contemplative is where we want to try to be silent for a moment. And one of the things that's helped me under, understand and appreciate this uh, is something that Richard Rohr, the Franciscan, wrote. He says, silence is not just an absence, but also by that very fact of presence. See, I realize now when I go into the silence, it's not an absence. 
I go into the presence of God, into the ultimate silence of his love, which all things were created out of. So when I'm in the silence, I sense the presence of love embracing me. In the silence of love, we rest and listen for his still small voice. See, that's the position Mary took at the feet of Jesus. Silent, listening, adoration. So we have solitude and silence, but one of the things that helps focus our mind in the midst of the silence, focused on our intention, are what I call simple prayers. We use simple prayers that we speak and then we breathe and we breathe in the silence. In contemplative prayer, short prayers, sometimes called breath prayers, help focus our attention on relationship. The most well-known is the Jesus prayer. Over the years in the church, the simple prayer, Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me. Breathing, Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me. Worship and invitation and intimacy. And I share that with you. That prayer never fails to bring us into the very presence of Jesus. Or the Abba prayer. Abba, Father, hallowed be thy name. Silent. And these prayers come together to make contact with the living God. Solitude is a place of intimacy. Silence is a posture of listening. Simple prayer is the language of love. And from there, sending takes place into the action again. Solitude, silence, simple prayers, components of a contemplative moment. As we come to the, the close of this message, I'd like to lead us together in a contemplative moment. It sort of copies something I did this morning, I do every morning. The first thing I do when I get up after I get the coffee is I, I go out into the silence of, of the living room by myself and I sit there and I repeat Psalm 116 verse 1. I love you, Lord, for you hear my voice. You heard my cries for mercy. And I'll pray that in the silence and embrace the merciful, loving presence of God. So if you could pray with me now. Let's all be silent and take a deep breath. With the, with the intention of just entering into a loving moment with the Lord. And I'll speak out the words, and you repeat me. And we'll do this three times. I'll do it once, and we'll just have silence for a minute. Do the second time, we'll have silence for a minute. And then the third time will be our conclusion. Here we go, out loud together, and just take a deep breath and let your focus be on first loving Jesus. I love you, Lord. And you can repeat after me. 
I love you, Lord, for you hear my voice. You heard my cry for mercy. A second time to the Lord in the Spirit. I love you, Lord. For you hear my voice. You heard my cry for mercy. Now, in the presence of Jesus by the Holy Spirit, let's conclude this with one final prayer. I love you, Lord, for you hear my voice. You heard my cry for mercy.